It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily. The Premier League is back this weekend after another dull international break where we were starved of top flight action. Finally, we can feast on nine fixtures across Saturday and Sunday, including Newcastle United's first game at St. James's Park post the Saudi Arabian takeover. The excitement is at fever pitch around the tune, but a certain Steve Bruce looks set to still be steering the ship against Tottenham this weekend. We'll discuss that as well as Watford's new era under Claudio Ranieri. Will the Tinker Man mastermind a Watford win over a fearsome Liverpool side? Plus, we look ahead to the annual Manchester City thrashing of Burnley at the Etihad, as well as Brentford looking to sting a Chelsea side chasing the title. Welcome to the dugout. This is the Premier League preview show featuring people who have been there and done it in the top flight of the English game. I'm Niall McCorn and I'm definitely not one of those people, but someone who is will be former Leicester and Manchester City striker Paul Dickov. Welcome back to the show, Paul. How are things? Yeah, good, mate. Just glad the Premier League's back. You know, um, I think international football nowadays is getting getting a little bit boring for everybody. So, yeah, excited about the weekend and the games we're going to be talking about. You must have enjoyed that Scotland win over Israel, though. Some good scenes there when Scott McTominay somehow bundled the ball in. Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, it was just great to see Hamden Park full again. You know, the first time in, in a long, long time and um, le- left it late. But, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of drama, but fantastic result. And then to, to follow that up with the Pharaohs, which wasn't as convincing. You know, they're slightly lucky in that game. But to get six points out of both games is, is fantastic and really pleased for Steve Clark. Yeah, you'll take that. Take that all day long. And also alongside us today is former England and Everton man, Trevor Stephen. Good to have you back, Trevor. How are you doing? Yeah, good, Niall. Good to be with you. How did you find the England games? We've spoken to Paul there about the Scotland ones. How did you find the England ones? I must be honest, I turned it off midway through the second half. <laughs> uh, I was actually at the game, uh, the England-Hungary game, uh, and it was a bit of a non-event. I mean, that England never got going. Uh, it, it was well below par, and even Gareth Southgate had to acknowledge that afterwards, that it was just for some reason it didn't click into gear. But England are in a good position. Uh, I'm delighted about Scotland. Um, you know, when Scotland get a team to back the fans, back them brilliantly, and uh, Steve Clark's done a, uh, an excellent job um, in, in bringing this squad together with great, great belief and, and some youth about them as well. So uh, it's exciting for Scotland. I hope they uh, get that second spot but you know the hard work will probably start then I think yeah I mean I really liked Stevie Clark and I'd quite like to see him back in the Premier League again one day I think he's probably underrated for the job he did even as an assistant with at places like Chelsea I think was he did he even go over to Europe as well at one point as well so he's got plenty of pedigree and I'd be keen to see him back in the Premier League one day soon and let's talk about the Premier League then because of course it is back we are going to get back into the swing of things starting with the 4:30 p.m. Sunday kickoff at St. James's Park, Newcastle United taking on Tottenham Hotspur. And this is Newcastle's first game since Mike Ashley left the building and the Saudi Arabian takeover was confirmed. At the time of recording this podcast, Steve Bruce is still at the helm. He did the pre-match press conference. It looks like he's going to take charge of his 1,000th 
Premier League game this weekend against Spurs. After all the talk this week post the takeover, Paul, can you see why some Newcastle fans are a little bit surprised that Steve Bruce is, is still there? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, yeah, if you listen to the, if you're watching TV and you hear the Newcastle comes on, you know, there's not very many that's got a positive thing to say about Steve, but um, I just I just hope he is still there um, for his game on Sunday, you know, because he's, I think he's managed the situation from, from when he went in, not just the last couple of weeks. I think he's handled it really well, you know, he's he's been up against it. Um, obviously well documented about the owners, he's, he's not been backed a lot, he's been hung out to dry a lot of times as well. But Steve's an experienced guy, you know, he's a great guy as well. Um, and, and me for one, and I'm sure Trevor will agree, I, I would love to see him at the helm. Um, and if he is going to be going, it would be great for him. It's a full house St James's Park um, and his thousandth game to, to get a win. Um, and I really do, but it's look, it's, it's looking ominous for him, isn't it? You know, the fans are on his back, new owners coming in. They will have their own ideas about where they want to go, and he is under a lot of pressure, but he has been for the last couple of seasons as well, so it won't affect Steve too much. You know, he's, he's experienced enough to handle it. To be honest, I don't think he's actually been given time to prove himself. I think we're as Paul says, the writing's on the wall for him, isn't it? It's uh, it all happened so fast. It wasn't even really in the news, and then it was. That's all there was in the news. Newcastle takeover. Um, Steve's obviously stuck in the middle, caught between two stools. Really, um, he knows that big money, new ambition, uh, big decisions are going to be made very, very quickly. But the fact that it did happen so fast, I don't think Newcastle could have been so prepared. Uh, the amount of managers that are out there at the moment, anyways, there's not many. Newcastle United find themselves as a, as a very weak football club, a massive football club, but a weak one as far as their playing staff is concerned. And the top managers, who's going to come in and take that job? You know, when there's so much work to do uh, and so little planning, and there's no transfer window for another three months. You know, even a great manager could go and then get his uh, reputation damaged in a short period of time like that. So I think the fact that Steve is going to be in charge, he's still going to be there for that first game. I think it's been uh, uh, confirmed that he is going to be, uh, you know, taking the managerial role for the game. Brilliant that he's got his thousandth game. I mean, what a number to get to. Uh, and and St Steve, as Paul says, one of the great footballing guys, right? You know. Bit old school, um, you know, chiselled out of granite. Really, as an individual, a tough guy. Uh, I've I've known Steve since I was fourteen, fifteen year old, and up in Walls End Boys Club, he was part of that. Uh, and I used to go and visit them from time to time from my home up there in the northeast. And uh, he was a leader even then, uh, and he, that's what sustained him. He's got that single mindedness about him. Whether he's an elite manager or not. You know who um, who am I to say that he is or not? But he's always had the difficult jobs, and uh, I hope he can get the result that his thousandth game would uh, would merit uh, and uh, get that home victory. And the fans stick with him through the whole ninety minutes. Well, we've seen lots of videos and photos of the fans and how happy they are to see the back of Mike Ashley and. The Saudis have come in and as you say, Trevor, it's been in the news all week and we've discussed it so many times this week on the podcast. So we won't go into the nuts and bolts of the takeover and the issues surrounding it. But Paul, as someone still very closely affiliated to Manchester City, you'll understand better than most how much of a lift that can give the players and the supporters of a club when there is a new regime that's come in and there's optimism there. Yeah, fantastic. I know from Manchester City when the takeover happened, you know, I was delighted for the fans. You know, because um, I played at the club when, putting it politely, we weren't very good. You know, we were, <laughs> we, we were a bit of a, we were up and down in divisions, and um, but the bit like the Newcastle fans, you know, they, they, they stick by their team through thick and thin. They always turned up in their numbers, um, and I think you know, I think if you get into Newcastle as a new owners, you would do really well to have a look at the model um, that the owners at Manchester City have had. You know, they, they realised it was, it wasn't going to happen overnight. Um, they realised it was going to be a progression. They'd done it as in a 10-year plan. Once that was done, it was the next 10 years they were looking at. Um, and as for the managers go, you know, Mark Hughes was in there. And even then, they progressed it. They didn't get a not say Mark Hughes wasn't. They didn't go out and get that superstar manager at that time, you know. Roberto Mancini, although he's went on to prove himself since then. And then Pellegrini. And they always had the plan to get Pep Guardiola in there when the time was right. You know, so it shows, I think, Regardless of what happens with Steve and the next manager that was into Newcastle, 
Um, whether that's going to be elite, elite manager at the time, I think it would be good to to look at the model Manchester City have got, look at the way they've um, built the training ground, look at the way that they've put everything back into East Manchester as in the re regeneration of it, but built that team slowly and slowly. And, and yeah, and initially they went out and spent big, big money um, because they had to. I know they're still spending money now, but they can do that for the right players because the model they've got has proven to everybody else that, that it works. You know, and how many times have we seen clubs having a lot of money and have rich owners, but it's not worked properly because they want to get that success straight away. You know, so it's, it's going to be a building block for Newcastle. And I just hope for the fans' sake that they do it the right way, you know, because the fans up there are amazing. Yeah, we, we know the fans are going to be absolutely buzzing about this takeover. But at the end of the day, Trevor, they're still a side without a win in the Premier League this season and they're in the relegation zone. They're second bottom. So despite the fact we've got all of this positivity off the field and it feels like a new era, they've still got the same players. They've still got the same team and they've probably still got the same issues that they need to iron out. So it's a difficult test against the Tottenham side who themselves haven't been firing on all cylinders but it won't be an easy game despite the positivity around the place. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Newcastle in recent, recent times have found it difficult to play at home. Uh, the amount of pressure that the fans put on them um, has been negative uh, in the main. Uh, what should have been lifted from the fan base now is this air of uncertainty about the future. So now Mike Ashley's gone, new ownership uh, has stepped through the front door, uh, not even had time to shut the door really, have they? So, but it's a, it's a sense of rebirth, I think, for, for the Newcastle fans. Uh, I mean, it, they, they would be very short-sighted to go to St. James's Park and be negative towards the team at a moment like this. I mean, that, that would be a bad signal for me. That would be wrong. It would indicate to me that there's been a this cancerous growth um, that's happened within the Newcastle fan base, you know, b mainly caused by Mike Ashley's um, uh, ownership of the club. That it's gone, it's gone past the point of uh, common sense. Uh, I'm hoping that it, it's going to be like a throwback to the old days when the the Geordies get behind the team properly, uh, and and. You know, are not too fast to criticise mistakes because you're, you're right. It's going to be the same players, um, hopefully with a little bit of pressure lifted from them, but also a, a great challenge for these players now because it's not the kind of place you want to be leaving anymore, is it? Newcastle United. It's somewhere where there's going to be a great future, should be because you know what money can do, and there are various examples in the Premier League where money's come into clubs and and they've gone from strength to strength. So hopefully that will happen with Newcastle United. Uh, hopefully Steve will get a good result, at least a draw um, at the weekend there. And uh, then Newcastle can start to move on. Can't say whether he's going to be there for the next game. I, I really couldn't tell you. Um, but just going back to what Paul said, how Man City did it in steps. I think that's Newcastle fans have got to realise that that's what it's probably going to have to look like in, at the outset. That... Um, that it's not going to be a miracle, particularly because the the big transfer windows really come in the summer, and that seems at this moment a long, long way away. And there might have to be a stepping stone between where we're at now and where Newcastle are going to be next summer. And everyone knows now Newcastle have got cash and cash to spend. So I think any players that they do eye up might cost a little bit more than maybe they would have done otherwise. I wonder if Tottenham can spoil the Newcastle party. They travel to St. James's Park, 4.30pm kickoff on Sunday. Now to the early kickoff on Saturday, half 12, where it's a new era for Watford as they usher in Claudio Ranieri to Vicarage Road after sacking Cisco Mignoth. They take on Liverpool. And how do you think he'll do, Paul, at, at Vicarage Road, Claudio Ranieri? Because we know exactly what he's capable of. He won the league with one of your old clubs, Leicester, which was remarkable. 5,000 to 1. An outside shot doesn't do it justice, but it was an unbelievable achievement. And he's also managed big clubs like Chelsea in the past. He's got so much experience. I think Watford's his 21st club. Do you envisage him doing a, a good job at Watford? Yeah, I hope so, because he's, he's one of the characters, especially from his time at Leicester and his time at Chelsea, talk, talking about takeovers, you know, he was one of the, the first ones to, to get the call of Abramovich and, you know, I think everybody um, likes Claudio Ranieri, how he is, he's a character, 
Um, but at the, at the same time, he's he's also got the experience of the Premier League and knowing what to do. And you know, I think the Watford fans will probably they'll want to look at his time at Chelsea all that time ago. Look at his time at Leicester. Maybe forget his time at Fulham um, a little bit where it didn't quite work out. But he's obviously got into the job with a wealth of experience. Um, I look at Watford at the start of the season and. You know, I watched them the first game and they really excited me with the pace they've got going forward. But they've not really kicked on since then. Um, I do think it was a bit of a harsh second, but it shouldn't really surprise us with the owners in there at Watford. And Claudio will go in there with, with, with his eyes open wide because he'll know the owners um, will want to keep them up. Um, if he doesn't win his first few games, he's going to be under pressure straight away. But I just think the experience he's got to go in there and start getting results will work in Watford's favour. Yeah, certainly. And I think he said in his first press conference that he fancies managing until he's 80. So I don't know what white wine and pasta he's drinking and eating, but I want a bit of it, to be fair, if he's still knocking around in the dugout at 80 years of age. That would be remarkable. Um, I can't see it happening, though, considering he's only just 70 and to last at Watford for 10 years will be just as amazing a feat as him winning the league with Leicester, I think, with the way things go at Watford. But in terms of a first game, Trevor, it doesn't get much tougher than against Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, does it? No, Liverpool have, uh, you know, probably, they probably do what we expected. Um, they do have the unbeaten run that they're on. Uh, obviously, we want to keep that going. But, you know, two years ago, it was Watford who stopped them doing that. The season full of um, anything but a defeat. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's going to be in the back of their minds. But I think... The key element for me has been Virgil van Dijk coming back into the, the Liverpool squad. It gives all those players a lift around him. Um, they are playing extremely well and and they do have uh, Mo Salah, of course, who's in just incredible form at the moment. He can't do anything wrong. He's he's just scoring goals for fun. He can't People can't stop him. He can be quiet in the game and then he, he just bursts into life and he's, he's very, very clinical. Uh, I expect Liverpool to... You know, to go there and win, having learned from that experience, particularly of two years ago. Um, and it's early in the season. And when they played Watford uh, those two years ago, it was getting on towards the uh, the latter part of the season, end of February, I think it was, when that, that record was, was toppled by Watford. And I, I just feel that Liverpool are going to have a big, big say in what happens at the top end. I see them staying up there, I see them challenging and uh, they'll be back to the kind of form that they had when uh, when they won the championship, when they won the Premier League a couple of seasons ago. You mentioned Mo Salah there, Trevor, and you were playing in an era in which, when you were at Everton, yourselves and Liverpool were the two top teams, really. You were winning titles, Liverpool were winning European Cups in and around that period. I've seen lots of Liverpool fans suggest that Mo Salah doesn't make it into the greatest ever Liverpool eleven. What what do you think? Because I think he's a remarkable player and one of the best Liverpool players I can remember in my lifetime watching Premier League football. Yeah, I, I think I think he's worthy of being in that top bracket of of Liverpool players through the generations. Um, I'm probably more convinced about that because of this season, funnily enough, because I, I think he's actually stepped his game up. Uh, you know, from what he's done in the past, and 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 what does that look like? That looks to me like when he's on the ball. He's making better decisions. He's making um, the passing decisions quicker. He's making the the finishes look even more um, comfortable for him. Um, so there's an obvious, evident, uh, visible sign from the from Salah that he 100% sees himself as a massive player for Liverpool, and he believes in it. Uh, and he, he looks like he's got unshakable confidence at, at this moment in time. Um, and you would see him carrying that on. You know, he, he scores goals on such a regular basis, even through the harsh winters that we have in, in England. And he, he manages to you know, pull out all the stops. Uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the, one of the greatest. Um, is he in the top 11? I mean, that depends probably on your generation that you're picking uh, or, or that you were born in. You might have a bias on an allegiance to a certain group of players, but uh, Salah has uh, been absolutely extraordinary for them. I agree, and it's sometimes easy to forget with the numbers that he puts up that he plays out wide a lot of the time, comes from the right, cuts onto his left foot. 
And uh, I think he's great for African football as well. Uh, Mo Salah, I think, is brilliant. And it's great to see him in such good form. Watford will be hoping that he has an off day, though, at Vicarage Road at 12.30 on Saturday. We're going to take a quick break before we talk about Leicester against Manchester United and Manchester City against Burnley, two clubs that Paul used to play for in Leicester and Man City. We'll do it next here on The Dugout. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. This is The Dugout from Sports Social. I'm Niall. I've got Paul Dickov and Trevor Stephen alongside me, two former top flight players. And we're going to talk Leicester versus Manchester United now. It's a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Your old team, Leicester, Paul, they've had injuries. Brendan Rodgers hasn't really had a great start. However, against the top clubs that they've played this season, they've actually played pretty well. Is this game against United a game they can use to sort of play themselves into a bit of form? Because, you know, beating a club the size of United will give you confidence no matter who you are. Yeah, I think Leicester, the way they set up and the way they have done over the last couple of years, their record against the top five, six teams have been fantastic because they're allowed to play in the counter-attack. You know, um, I think they, they struggle a little bit when the onus is on them to keep possession and break teams down and teams defend deep. They rely so much, and we know, on Jamie Vardy um, playing the shoulder and getting him behind. And, you know, whenever they've played the Manchester Cities, the Manchester United, and the Chelsea even, the onus is on, on the other clubs to keep possession and break them down. So when they win the ball back and the transition, um, they're so dangerous going forward. You know, talking about Vardy, with the pace of Harvey Barnes as well. And then the quality they've got in the middle of the park with Telemans. And um, it's been a stuttering start to the season for them. Um, but I'm looking at this game to, um, against United, and I think this is a game they can really get back on track, especially when you think United have got Maguire out, they've got Varane out. Um, and then going forward, as I say, is with Kalecci and Achilles back in the team scoring goals. Obviously, Jamie Vardy's on fire at the minute. And then Harvey Barnes being back fit is, is a big, big plus for them because. Um, before Harvey was in the team, you know, um, that was just Jamie Vardy they were looking for on the counter, but Harvey's really, really quick now. He's direct and he's bringing an end product to his game now. So that, I can see them causing Manchester United all. This isn't me, my Man City or my Leicester glasses on either against Manchester United. You know, I just I feel that the way they'll set up in this game tomorrow, that they could cause United a lot of problems. Yeah, I think you're right about Harvey Barnes as well. I just think he, he looks so exciting every time he plays. And he actually scored against United in this very fixture last season. I think it was on Boxing Day and it finished 2-2. Just before we talk about United, I wanted to ask you this, Paul, because Brendan Rodgers has strangely been linked with the Manchester City job, um, even though Pep Guardiola is still very much in situ at the Etihad. But it's, I think, with a view to when Pep Guardiola eventually does call time at the Etihad. The story came from Newcastle United and Steve Bruce. Of course, Steve Bruce is still there, but Brendan Rodgers is allegedly linked with that Newcastle job. He says he's happy at Leicester, with another report then coming out suggesting that he's actually quite keen on the City job whenever that becomes available. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think he would be a good fit if and when the time comes? Yeah, I think if you look at it at the minute, um, and football can change very, very quickly, you know, but Brendan's um, built a really good squad. Um, at Leicester, everybody knows the way he plays, um, and that runs all the way through the club. And his philosophy is from really down at the academy all the way through to the first team. They all play the same way, and I think people look at the way Manchester City have done things, and it's the exact same. So Brendan's that fit at the minute, but you know, I, I honestly can't see Pep going anywhere for quite a long time. Now, you know, he's he's signed his new contract. I know for a fact he loves living in Manchester. He loves working with the players that he's got. Um, and you know, in two years' time, who knows? You know, if Brendan's still successful with Leicester and Pep decides to call it a day in a couple of years' time, it does look the perfect fit. But at the same time, you know, and then two years' time, you know, two weeks is a long time in football. Never mind two years. You know, if Brendan's not successful at Leicester, there'll be somebody else that'll be getting linked with it. But I just think the way Brendan is, his style of play, it sort of it fits well at the minute for him to be the um, the successor from Pep. But I honestly can't see Pep Guardiola going anywhere for a long time and and at the same time I know Brendan loves it at Leicester he's got a fantastic owners there he gets on really well with them um, and he wants to build something near himself so if it was going to happen I couldn't see it happening for a long time it's a great point you know it's all well and good saying this could happen in 
x y z amount of years but football's a funny game where you know like we were discussing with newcastle nothing happened and then all of a sudden every single day it's chock-a-block with newcastle news so it's a really good point but interesting to see rogers linked with uh the manchester city role at some time in the future nonetheless let's talk about their opponents then manchester united travel to king power stadium missing both first choice center halves rafael varan and harry Maguire. so it's up to those Squad players to step up now, Trevor. It could be any of Lindelof, Eric Bailly, and maybe even Phil Jones, who has been injured for a long, long time. But whoever is trusted by Solskjaer, they're going to find it difficult against the Leicester side who will make it tricky for them. Uh, without a doubt. I'm, I have to be honest, I'm not convinced by Manchester United um, that they are you know, geared towards the football that's going to be necessary to to really, really challenge for, for the Premier League. Obviously, with the full, uh, the centre-backs not uh, being available, Varane and Maguire, uh, I think they have been the rock that has got them this decent good start, decent to good start, I would call it, but not a convincing start in my book. Um, without them, I'd be very interested to see how solid um, Man United can be, particularly against Barnes and, and Vardy. Um, just on, on, on Leicester, uh, for me, the big loss for them has been Fafana. When he came in, I, th- I thought he's been absolutely sensational by another typical Leicester purchase going in, into the French League and, and um, picking up uh, a, a real talent. And I think Leicester have missed uh, his capabilities. His covering capabilities in defence have been terrific. And good teams are built on solid foundations. Man United are going to have the the two guys that they would want in there uh, this weekend uh, and I'm I'm not quite sure what I'm going to get from a Manchester United team to be quite honest still question marks about that central f- midfield um, uh, setup uh, McTominay Fred seem to be the popular choices I'm not quite sure if that's a, a Premier League winning combination uh, Fernandez um, is I've always, I think, a little bit under pressure because Ronaldo's there and he's always kind of comparing himself a little bit or, 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 a, or a grab of the limelight between the pair of them. We saw that with the penalty incident and we when Fernandez misses his penalty. I think that this is a tough one for Manchester United and I, I really think that, you know, Vardy being in, in top form at this moment in time, as Paul says, can really um, take advantage of the counter-attacking possibilities that the lack of Maguire and, and Varane can throw up for, for Leicester. So uh, a, a tough one, perhaps a draw, uh, but Leicester, I think they've got to get themselves back on track with a, with a victory. And as I say, I think the pressure might be off them a little bit this weekend. I agree with what you say about Fafana as well. I think Leicester have really missed him and Johnny Evans. And it's remarkable to think Fafana's only 20 years of age. You know, he was 19 when they signed him. And actually... You know, interesting, you mentioned defensive partnerships. I think Suyunshu's looked a little bit lost without either of those two by his side. I don't think he's had the greatest start to the season, the Turkey centre-back. But Leicester take on Manchester United this weekend, three o'clock on Saturday. At the same time, happening at the Etihad Stadium, Burnley are the visitors to East Manchester. Paul, City always beat Burnley at the Etihad. Every time, by multiple goals. Do we see that changing this time around at all? I can't see it changing at all now. I think the last three or four games have been five nil consecutive ones. Um, you know, and I've, I've been at a few of them, and even though it was five nil, it could have been ten, and, and that's not <laughs> over exaggerating. You know, um, but I look at Man City. I look at the, the last before the international break when they went away to Chelsea and won, and they were absolutely outstanding. You know, they took the game to a different level, and then the Liverpool game um, a couple of weeks ago, where for three quarters of the game, Liverpool couldn't get anywhere near them. You know, they were just outstanding, creating chances. Um, and it was a great game to watch. You know, so often we see the top two teams or the top three or four teams going at each other and they sort of cancel each other out. But it was a game of completely two different styles, but a fantastic game to watch. And Man City have got, they've got the bit between their teeth again. You know, and I think we've seen that. People were questioning them before the, the week when they had Chelsea, PSG, and then Liverpool. Um, could they handle it without playing with a striker, um, not scoring goals, was it going to be too much for them? Chelsea were flying, Liverpool were flying. And I think they, they put a marker down in, in both the games, as in, I know, they got four points out of six, which they probably would have took before that. 
Um, but as in the actual performance and, and the way they played, they, they look as if they're ready to take their game to another level again, which against a Burnley team who's really, really struggling at the minute, you know, I can't see anything I can't see anything different than a high score in Manchester City win. Yeah, if they score a lot of goals, it will have to be without Ferran Torres, though, Paul, because he's injured. So who plays striker or will it be a bit of pep roulette, do you think? Um, it could be four or five different players all at once, you know, <laughs> the, the, the way they rotate. You know, obviously, um, Raheem Sterling's played there, um, Phil Foden recently. Um, Jack Greeley started uh, as the false number nine in, in, in the Liverpool game. And then you've got Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, who's all done that as well. But I think whatever team Pep puts out there, I don't think you'll just see a number nine standing up against our centre-halves because they rotate so well. They're all so comfortable, um, whether they're out wide, whether in the middle, whether they're playing as a number 10. Um, and, they, and they work a lot on that rotation just to just to keep the centre-halves um, thinking, just to keep them moving all the time. You know, One minute it might be Raheem Sterling that's in there. A couple of minutes later it'll be Bernardo Silva. So they rotate that, that so well. I think... Whoever does play in there, it's, it's going to be important that they don't drop too deep all the time, you know, because City are creating a lot of chances. And probably the only thing you can point them at the minute is is when they do create the chances that they're not taking or when there's not enough people in the box. But um, the, the, the way they're playing at the minute, it, it, it could be four or five of any players at any time throughout the 90 minutes that will be in that number nine. Um, I'm disappointed for Ferran Torres because he's, he's looked outstanding, especially with Spain. Whenever he's played as that number nine for Man City, although he got brought in as a wide player, um, he, he looks the real deal, you know, and he's only 21. So I think the way he's come in to the club and adapted um, to new surroundings, adapted to his teammates, but adapted to a new position as well. Um, he's, he's done ever so well. Um, so he's going to be a loss for Man City because when they've needed goals, he scored important ones for them. Just finally on City, before we talk about your old club, Trevor, Burnley. I mean, you, you mentioned players being young and being the real deal. Well, Phil Foden is certainly someone who fits that bill. And the latest reports suggest that he's in line for a new six-year contract. That's great news for City fans and great news for England fans, really, as well, because he's just someone who lights up the pitch every time he plays. Yeah, he's just a, he's just a super talented individual that has been superbly managed by Pep Guardiola. Um, there's been many occasions, two or three seasons ago particularly, uh, where the expected route would be for a player to go out on loan um, when you've got such ability but not going to be able to get into the first team because they haven't got the, the experience uh, as at that moment in time. But to be fair to Phil, he's, he's also uh, you know, been very sensible about his career uh, Pep must have had many a talk and chat to him saying that you, you are the future of this club and learn from these great players that are coming in. And and that's what Phil has done. Uh, and, and we saw in the England match against Andorra um, another element to his game that we don't really see week to week in the Man City shirt, which was the ability to get his head up and make t- taking risks with his passing. Um, and splitting defences open, or albeit, all right, it's, it's Andorra, but he did it time and time and time again. It was the most exceptional um, passing game I've seen for a long, long time from any player. Very quarterback-esque in the way that he was, um, he was spraying the ball around. He's got everything, hasn't he? He's got tenacity, he's got pace, um, he's got heart, he's got soul, he's got everything that a player is, you know, needs to go right to the top. Uh, and, and he will continue to be the, the heartbeat, I think, of Man City going forward. Um, as far as Burnley are concerned, uh, I am worried for Burnley. You know, they've had investment. They've been um, bought by an American uh, uh, individual or, or, or a group of American guys uh, who have come in with experience in sport, but not experience of the Premier League. Um, Sean Dyche is a terrific manager, uh, probably old school, as that's what we feel that he is, because he's not had the uh, uh, the real challenging job of a team that's meant to be winning things. Burnley's always been about survival in the Premier League, but this particular season, I'm a bit concerned at the moment. I saw them play at Everton, and um, they started really, really well, but they can't sustain it for the 90 minutes, uh, and they will give teams the chance to get ahead, and, and that's what happened against Everton. Uh, seven minutes of open football from Burnley led to three goals for Everton uh, and there seems to be 
a bit of a, a weakness about them in that regard this this uh, season. I think Ben Mee as well. I think he's just come down with COVID and he's the sort of leader um, uh, as a centre back and as a leader in, in, on the on the field. So he's not going to be there for them uh, in, in this game, which is the toughest of games, and we've seen that in recent years. So I do worry for for Burnley in, in this game, obviously but a little bit worried in the bigger picture that um, th they've got a good enough squad to keep getting, picking up the points, keeping the scoreboard ticking over. Uh, th the game last week against Norwich was a great opportunity to get three points, build the confidence, but th they couldn't manage it, come away with a 1-1 draw. Uh, and I think they were looking into the next game, which would be Man City, that they're not going to get points from that. So really needed to beat Norwich City and didn't do it. Tough one. For, for Sean Dyche. He signed a new contract. Uh, can be the kiss of death sometimes, I suppose, to um, how things can go for you in football management. It's so precarious. Um, but, you know, being an ex-Burnley player, I've got my fingers crossed that we could snatch something. But realistically, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, it's going to be some arse to beat Manchester City, particularly at the Etihad. As you mentioned, Ben Mee uh, could be missing due to that illness. And also, James Tarkovsky has been linked with Newcastle since the Newcastle takeover. But then again, so have about 450 other Premier League players. So you can't read too much into that one for the time being. From one of your old clubs to another, let's talk about Everton, Trevor. Only the relegated teams lost more home games than Everton did last season. This season, though, Everton are the only side in the league unbeaten on their own patch. Is there any reason for that? Is it a coincidence or do you think that's because of the return of fans and maybe the Rafa Benitez effect? Uh, well, Paul will tell you that going to Goodison Park, I mean, I, I played at Goodison Park. I never played against Everton, by the way. But um, Goodison with fans is a really hot place to go and play football. Um, and if Everton harness that as a team then they've got a real 12th man um, with uh, the Goodison support and they've got it this year that it was it was so flat in the performances we saw from Ancelotti's team uh, last season and the record and the stats show you that they were the second worst uh, at home in the Premier League uh, last season uh, this season with Rafa Benitez coming in uh, and and I've said in uh, previous podcast with you now that I thought he was the right man for the job uh, and I'm not saying you know patting myself on the back I just thought he was and you know my he was miles better than any of the other candidates it was just the the Liverpool baggage which was always going to be difficult it, it, it's not so difficult now um, because the results have been have been very good uh, I was particularly impressed last week you know with a uh, or two weeks ago with the performance at Man United, um, they showed backbone, they showed togetherness, they showed uh, energy, and they showed an understanding of what they were play uh, the, the positional play that Rafa Benitez has um, uh, put together for that group of players. Uh, so that was great. Uh, but you've got to say that the the guys who have come in uh, have done tremendously well, particularly Demara Gray and, and Andros Townsend. Uh, Rondon played against Man United. Um, still trying to find his fitness. You'll never be of the level of Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison, but it's a good stopgap for Everton at the moment. But when you've got Damari Gray playing like he is, when you've got uh, uh, Andros Townsend playing like he is, and you've also got Ducori, who looks like a reborn footballer, uh, th they've got a really good, strong team there. And a team like that is going to, is going to pick up points. I have, to, I have to say as well, um, you know, defensively, that uh, they have been far, far stronger as a unit under Benitez than they were Ancel uh, under Ancelotti. So, very positive vibe about Everton, uh, and um, you know, I think they will go from strength to strength under Benitez. Just a, a quick couple of thoughts from you, Trevor, on Goodison Park, as you mentioned it there. I love Goodison Park. It's a proper old school stadium. It's got the old Archibald Leach architecture which you don't really see too often around England these days with the new stadiums that are often being built there is a new stadium on the way for Everton as well they'll be moving to Bramley Moor Dock what are your thoughts on that is that sad and new does that disappoint you obviously it's a new exciting era for Everton Football Club but there are a lot of memories attached with Goodison Park and as someone who's only been there a few times I've sort of 
got a real affinity to the place and I'm not even an Everton fan. So I wondered what your takeaways were seeing you as someone who used to play there on a regular basis. Well, it was, you know, I went there when I was 19 and stayed there for uh, six years and they were very successful years. And um, I mean, all football stadia looked different back then. This was way back in the last century, but Goodison doesn't look that much different from what it did uh, there and then. Um, It's, is going to be sad without a doubt that um, a lot of memories are just going to be uh, you know, buried there and the new stadium uh, will be terrific. It, it actually is in a, a fabulous place. It's down there in the docks, very much in the heart of, of Liverpool. Um, Everton have got a, a, a bit of a, a, a building hall, a land hall down there. They own the Liver building as well and have their offices in there and that's only a literally about less than half a mile from where the new stadium is going to be built. Who knows what that will bring? Um, hopefully it will bring uh, an air of invincibility, you know, uh, before too long. But I think all clubs tend to have a little bit of a settling in period. And uh, we saw it with Arsenal way back in the day. Tottenham as well have had uh, some issues. West Ham, for instance, as well, um, you know, settling into the Olympic Stadium. That will all happen in the future. It's three or four years away. At the moment, it's all about the here and now for Everton. It's about um, building the strength of the club, uh, developing the brand, and uh, they have got money behind them. Not to the extent that that Man City have or uh, particularly Newcastle United, but they've got a a good substance to them. And, uh, you know, the the club in itself is called the People's Club. And it's always try to generate that community feel to it and I certainly knew that and felt that when I was a a player at Everton and uh, hopefully that will never be lost. I mean we're going slightly off topic here but how what was it like for you Paul being someone who played at Main Road when the place was bouncing and then coming back later when they were playing Man City were playing at a different stadium was that was that weird experience for you? Yeah it was a weird experience Um, but going back to what Trevor said I I love playing at Goodison Park it was my favourite away ground um, you had a lot of um, scouse banter aimed at you all the time. Um, but the, the fans being really, really close to the pitch and the atmosphere, whenever they're doing well, Trevor, it's it's just a fantastic place to play, you know. And um, just just the history surrounding it, you know, when you're lining up in the tunnel that's all that's very, very narrow, and you you come out the changing rooms and you walk down and getting ready to go out and. You know, the music's playing and Everton fans are there and it was just a fantastic place to play and it's probably one of the it's probably the last sort of old historic stadiums that, that's left now in the Premier League. You know, uh, Paul, it's like, it's like stepping back at time, in time, isn't it? At, at you know, when you go there now, you know, as a pundit or a, or a commentator or whatever, uh, you can feel the the sort of ancient history there. You know, you have to walk Absolutely. through some ladders and up onto the roof when you're trying to get into the commentary box. Uh, yeah, and, I think uh, they've got a health and safety certificate, thankfully, on that one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, being a Pompey fan, Fratton Park's very, very similar, and I'd be so sad to see the back of Fratton Park if that ever that day ever came. So yeah, interesting to to see what happens to to Everton when they do eventually move away from Goodison Park. Their opponents, West Ham, of course, have moved out of the bowling ground to the London Stadium in recent seasons. That game kicks off at two o'clock on Sunday. We're going to go to a break after we discuss this next game, which is an exciting one for me. Brentford against Chelsea. It's the 5.30 kickoff Saturday night. I mean, Brentford are such a dangerous opponent, aren't they, Paul? Newly promoted, play exciting football and... It's the fear factor that they just don't have, which I think has made them so fun to watch. I mean, have you noticed that as well when you've watched Brentford, that they just play with this air of fearlessness? They're not scared of anyone, and why should they be? No, they're not, but they've just carried on from the last couple of seasons in the Championship, Niall. You know, they go out there, they've got their way of playing. Um, they won't change. Thomas Frank's really positive. You know, they're on the front foot all the time. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's playing with no fear, um, especially they're going to be the underdog for a majority of the games that they're going to play in the Premier League. Um, and they have been since the start of the season, but they just keep proving people wrong, you know, because they, they really do have a go at teams. And in Ivan Tony, they've got one of the informed strikers, um, not just in the, in, in the country at the minute. So I love watching them play and they do take a lot of risks. Um, but, you know, I'll go back to a couple of weeks ago when they played against Liverpool. You know, I think everybody was expecting Liverpool to... To, to run away with that game. Um, but Brentford just didn't go away. They kept coming back, you know, scored three goals. Um, and they're just really exciting to watch. You know, they, 
the, the style that they play in, you know, that the set pieces causes problems for them all. And they do take risks because when they take corners, they've more or less put everybody in the box and hardly leave anybody back. You know, but that causes that causes problems for the opposition teams all the time. So it's a game I'm really looking forward to. Um, be tough for them because we all know the quality that Chelsea have got. I know there's they've had a lot of players away in international break, but they've got such a strong squad, Chelsea. Um, but regardless of the result, I think you'll you'll see a Brentford team going out there at home in their new stadium in front of their own fans and having a right good go, at Chelsea, which is refreshing. You know, how many times do we see teams coming up? that are just happy to try and stay in games for as long as they can. Brentford won't do that. They'll have a goal from the very start, and it's it's great to see. Have you ever played in a team like that, Paul, where you just don't really fear anyone? You're not scared of anyone, where you're just so confident with the boys you've got around you in the dressing room, where you just know that whoever you come up against, even whether it's a big game, a rival, something like that, you just know you're going you're gonna to be all right. I never played in teams good enough for that to happen, Niall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we were always underdogs. To be fair, your, your goal record's pretty good, so maybe everyone was looking at you thinking, it's all right, we've got Dick on the team, yeah. he'll score us some goals. Now, I used to play with no fear anyway. You know, the, the, from my point of view, the, the bigger the opponent you were up against, and Trevor will tell you, you know, Trevor played at the very top. When you play against um, teams that are outstanding and players that are outstanding, you, you want to raise your game. And, and you want to try and prove yourself, um, you know. And I think when you look at a Brentford team, I think Thomas Frank's philosophy is drilled into each and every single player just to go out there and put yourself up against the best and test yourself. And, and, and as a player, that's all you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Chelsea, though, they've got such quality. And even though we think Brentford probably won't fear them, it's going to be so hard against the Chelsea side where we know what they're all about. However, the international break has brought a few concerns. Do you think Chelsea might feel any effects of that, Trevor? I don't think uh, uh, Thomas Tuchel will allow any um, any excuses. Um, I think that's how he operates. It, it's uh, The mantra is you know, no regrets, no excuses. Um, it's 11 against 11 and you know the, the quality within this group should be winning football matches and that's it. Uh, I think he's quite brutal about how he how he manages. I think um, I think no one's left in any doubt as to what their uh, what their deliverables are. Uh, and I think Chelsea do need a, g- a good strong performance. Tough place to go. Paul said it that Brentford are um, completely at home and comfortable with where they are in this Premier League. It's quite interesting to see the difference between them and Norwich. Norwich are, are sort of gingerly trying to get back into into psychologically getting into the the swing of the Premier League whereas Brentford have just gone from day one that was at Arsenal that they beat on the first the first evening of, of this year's the season's Premier League um, but as far as Chelsea are concerned they've got guys who can score goals from all positions they have and, and Kante probably the best um, all-round midfielder all I'm talking about all-round midfielder in, in the Premier League um, and even Timo Werner was on uh, on on the score sheets, you know, for for Germany uh, in this break. So maybe his confidence will be back in, in at high level. But when you have Romelu Lukaku in your side, uh, he's quite a phenomenon. Someone who comes in with that price tag, and it doesn't look like it's got any relevance to him whatsoever. He just gets on with with what he's good at, and it's great. You know, when you these great great players that we watch, they know they know their game. You know, they know how to, even uh, against the best of defenders, how to be effective. And um, despite Brentford's great start to this season, I think uh, I think Chelsea need this result, uh, you know, to get their, um, their claim for the Premier League back on track. Yeah, Chelsea top of the league at the moment. Will they stay there when they take on Brentford away from home, 5.30 Saturday? Probably the shortest, one of the shortest away trips. Chelsea fans, whatever make, it can't be too far from uh, from Stamford Bridge to Brentford, that's for sure. Time for a quick break, then we've still got three more Premier League fixtures to discuss. We'll do it next on The Dugout. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. 
Welcome back to The Dugout. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. This is the only podcast with a new episode every single day of the Premier League season and that includes the weekends where you can get your fix of all the action that's going on in the top flight. Three more games for us to look ahead to on today's episode of the show and we'll start here in this section with Southampton against Leeds which is three o'clock on Saturday. I've seen a few reports, Paul, um, from different sources that have claimed Ralph Hasenhurtl could be facing the sack if Southampton don't get a result against Leeds. They've got a number of draws this season, but they haven't got a win yet. Does that surprise you at all, or do you think that's fair criticism? Um, it, nothing ever surprises me when um, when managers aren't <laughs> winning games. Niall, you know, and you look, they've lost the last couple of games, albeit last one to Chelsea. Um, you know, and I've seen them at Manchester City um, quite a few weeks ago, and, and, and they were outstanding, Niall. You know, they, they actually they ended up getting a draw, but they, they possibly could have won the game. You know, their setup, their tactics, how they approached. I hadn't seen them go to Manchester City and dominate a game as, as much as they did. Um, so I'm really surprised to see the position that they're in um, off the back of that performance. But, you know, if, if you've not won a game all season and you're going to a home game against Leeds, and as a manager, you are going to be under pressure. Um I do feel for Southampton a, a little bit and I have done for a number of years because every time they, they get their best players or their best managers they always seem to lose them but they always seem to bounce back and do well but I've just got a funny feeling I know Trevor was talking about Burnley before I worry for Southampton this season whether whether this season is just going to be a step too far for them you know that the, the squad isn't as strong as it has been in, in, in recent seasons they've not really invested into it that much either um, and, and they're going to have to start picking up wins very quickly because before you know it, and as we all know in the Premier League, you don't win games for three or four weeks. You get cut adrift and it's so difficult to try and make that back up again. So um never like to see managers under pressure, but as I said, you know, when you're not winning games, um, it's it, it, it comes with it comes with a job. You know, but Ralph Houston had to, he'll know that himself. Yeah, I mean, we speak on this podcast a lot when we discuss relegation about how do we determine who's a relegation candidate? And the method we always use is, is there three worse teams than them in the league? If there is, then they might be all right. Their opponents' leads, you think that, well, yeah, there's comfortably three or four teams that aren't quite as good as leads when they're at their best, which means that you'd probably fancy them to stay up despite the fact that they're in a bit of trouble at the moment as well. But for Southampton, Trevor... Uh, do you think there are three comfortably worse teams than them at the moment, if if that's the description method we're going to use? Southampton are, are, are in that, that group of potential relegation um, teams. Seven games played, no wins. There's four four teams in the Premier League who've, who are sitting on that kind of stat at this moment in time. And, you know, we're getting well through October now. And if you're a player at, at those clubs, you must be wondering... Where does a win come from? You're training hard. You're putting it in. You're, you know, the camaraderie within the group during the week is is all building towards towards a Saturday and getting those three points. But then you get on the pitch, and the sort of common factor with teams that um, do get relegated. I, I got relegated once in uh, in my my career, and I was at Burnley at the time, and. We had won the league, uh, the third division, the previous season, and we went up to the the next division, and games just seemed to pass us by. And we were good in many a game, but we couldn't see out 90 minutes. And every time that we dropped a little bit in a game, we would get punished. Uh, And that's what these teams are experiencing. It has to happen now, really, for Southampton um, to, you know, get the fans back on side, take that pressure off Hasenhutl, uh, Ward Prowse, I don't think he's he's not playing this weekend. He got sent off against Chelsea, didn't he? Uh, so he's a big key player for them as well. Uh, so it's going to be difficult. I think Danny Ings leaving as well. Paul alluded to the, the quality of players that um, that have left Southampton. I mean, Danny Ings for me, I thought he would have perhaps gone to Tottenham. I mean, he's doing great at Villa. Let's let's be honest about that. But. Uh, I thought he's real quality and someone who can turn a game around. I don't see that in that Southampton side at this moment in time. Um, I think Che Adams as well. He may be out as well for this weekend. It didn't feature for Scotland. So it's it, it's going to be tough times and the pressure's mounting. Um, but now's the time for you to stand up and be counted, I suppose, as a player. 
and Hassan Hotel will expect that of his group of players. Not only have they lost Ings, they've also lost Vestergaard as well, which a lot of people forget, a key important component for them at the back. They take on Leeds at St Mary's 3 o'clock Saturday. From Ings's old club to Ings's new one, Aston Villa, they take on Wolves in, I don't want to call it a derby, but I'm sure there's a rivalry between these two teams, Villa and Wolves. But they are two sides, Paul, who haven't shown their full potential yet this season, I think it's fair to say. Do you fancy a winner from this one? I'm finding this one really difficult to call, despite the fact Villa probably have had the better start to the season. I don't think Wolves have been terrible. I just think they've been a bit unlucky at times. Yeah, they have. Um, you know, look at their games earlier on in the season. They were dominating, but they just couldn't seem to score goals. I think having Raul Jimenez back flying and getting his goal the other week there will be big for them because he's, he's a fantastic player. You know, and it must have been a big... Not, not just... Um, as in fitness-wise, but psychologically, you know, he's done so well to get himself back into the position he has done, and it looks as if he's got the bit between his teeth again. But I, I really like the, the, the look of Aston Villa this year. You know, I think they've, they've got the money in from um, Jack Grealish. They've invested it really, really well. Trevor's talking about Danny Ings there. He, he's one of the top strikers in the Premier League. You know, he, he's a player that's capable of going and getting you 15, 20 goals. And um, I like the fact that Dean's playing three at the back, possibly to allow Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins to play together. You know, and as a two, they're a handful for anybody and the creativity they've got in the midfield. Um, I think Dean's done a marvellous job over the last couple of seasons, but I think the recruitment and investment that Villa have had this year, not just in the starting eleven, but the whole squad as a whole, um, looks really strong. And um, as I said, I like the look of them. And I actually fancy Villa to win this tomorrow. You know, and there'll be a great atmosphere at Villa Park. Be a full house, um, locally Derby. Um, but expect Villa to come out on top. Uh, and for Wolves, from their perspective, not only Raul Jimenez, but also Huang Hee Chan, the, the new striker from South Korea, has seemed to got off to an absolute flyer. So I wonder if he can continue his... I was ball. glad you pronounced that, Niall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know if that was wrong. <laughs> I just blagged my way through it. You just, kind of, you just have to yeah. say it quickly and hope no one notices. Um, Villa against Wolves. Uh, takes place this weekend and so does Norwich against Brighton three o'clock Saturday for our final game on today's dugout that we're going to preview this is an interesting one for me Norwich bottom of the table in, in poor form they take on a Brighton side which enjoying the complete opposite Trevor I suppose you could say they've started really really well so this is almost a twofold question with the international break for the last two weeks do you think that will have helped Norwich regroup and on the flip side maybe have stopped Brighton and Hove Albion's momentum because they were going good guns until the break. Uh, potentially, that that could have helped um, and hindered, as you've described. Uh, as far as Norwich is concerned, uh, to me this is like a, a must-win. It's a must-win game. Mm. Already, um, only six games in, you think Norwich are in that territory? Yeah, I mean, yeah. where are they going to get their points from? You know, where's it going? To, where's it going to turn around? I, I think that I said at the start of this Premier League, I think it's the, it's the strongest. Uh, set of teams that there's ever been. Uh, the top have strengthened massively, uh, as has the mid-range teams and, and, and the smaller clubs. Have, they've really tried to push out um, uh, or push up the quality of, of their squads. But even the best of players, uh, a good group of players, if they've got no confidence, um, are not going to pick up enough points in the Premier League. It's just so... Um, you get punished so easily and so regularly when you're not quite at it. Uh, so this, to me, this will be a cup final for, for Norwich. And Brighton are just calmly doing away, aren't they? They've just got a real uh, aggressiveness about their play. Graham Potter's done far better than I thought he would have done, You know, to be honest with you, when he first came in. Didn't really know much about him. Um, but he, he's kind of brought himself into that group of managers that may get a really good job a really big job one of these days and, and that he's elevated himself uh brighton to be in the position that they are is, is really unheard of uh in, in in the modern day um so a big game all around norwich need to win it i don't think that i don't think they've got enough firepower i think you know pookie seems to be if he's not firing on all cylinders then there's not many goals in that norwich side and if you haven't if you're not scoring um, that puts a lot of pressure on your defence and do they have the, the strongest defence? I don't think they do. I think uh, that makes them vulnerable. 
I can see Brighton just getting a 1-0 up uh, at Carrow Road. Yeah, certainly Brighton have started really well. Agree with what you say about Graham Potter. Uh, I don't know whether it's the, the change in haircut and the growing of the beard, but it seems to have managed to get Brighton some wins on the board this season, which is what they were struggling with last time around. Well, that's it. We've reached the end of the dugout, our Premier League preview show. Thanks very much to Trevor Stephen and to Paul Dickov. What's on the agenda this weekend for you, gents? Are you taking in any games at all? I'm doing a commentary for Talk Sports. Um, doing Leicester, Man U, actually. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that. It'll be an interesting game. Um, see if Vardy can continue his goal scoring and see if Man United can you know, keep a, a tight back four, uh, not having Varane and Maguire. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. What about you, Paul? Have you put a few quid on City 5, Burnley nil? 5 nil. yep. I'll down at the Etihad tomorrow. Work free day, so I'm, I'm going to enjoy the hospitality, guys, and make the best of it. Trust me on that. Enjoy, enjoy. I've heard the food's pretty good, Paul. And it's the best restaurant in Manchester. That's the only reason I go. <laughs> very good. Thanks very much for listening to this week's edition of The Dugout. We'll be back next week with another one and every subsequent day of the week and the Premier League season, for that matter, because we are the only podcast with a new show every day of the top flight campaign so as i say hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one but that's it for today we'll catch you again next time on sports social the dugout premier league preview football social daily it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.